What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Jason Sarlanis, SVP of Development at TLC, or as I call it, the Learning Channel. Now, this was an exciting one for me. I've known Jason for a long time. We've been friends for a while. My wife used to work with him at E! and at ABC, full disclosure. But he did not disappoint. We talked about him rising through the ranks rather quickly at E! before going on to Ryan Seacrest Productions. From there, he went on to ABC and then headed over to TLC, where he now runs development as an SVP. We talked about the differences between being a network executive and being a cable executive. We also talked about his experiences working with Joan Rivers, uh, being the point executive on The Soup, uh, all the fun stuff they're doing now at TLC. This is my sit-down with Jason Sarlanis. I hope you enjoy it. You look good for a guy that went to four dinners last night. <laughs> Thank you so much. Busy night in New Orleans? Busy night in New Orleans. There's no such thing as a non-busy night here, I think. Can we talk about the difference this year? I love it. Everyone feels like extremely energized with the move from D.C. to New Orleans. Well, and I think, you know, last year felt like a lame duck because we knew it was not going to be there much longer. So everybody has just been waiting for this one. And, it, and it's, it, it's nice to see people happy and excited. Yeah. And yeah. also the, the parties, uh, you had local celebrities. So like Big Frida had her birthday bash. I, I, heard, I missed that one. She's but a heard... New Orleans like legend. Yeah. Um, and then also uh, Master, Master P. P. Master P was hosting a party. I met Master P last night. Did you really? I did. I I might have accidentally said Mr. P, but yes. No, you did not. I, yeah, it's not my it's not my forte. Okay, so you were not you were not a no limit soldier growing up. <laughs> not exactly. More more on the pop side than the uh, hip hop side. Where Where did you grow up again? I grew up in Long Island, so a suburb kid. Suburb kid. Total suburbs. Like uh, okay. each house looked identical. Ride your bikes. You know. Dad did what? Uh, my father was semi retired by the time I was born. How, okay, so what, um, how so old he, was he when he, he had you? Oh, Jesus. Uh, 52. And were you an only child? I was, I was the uh, youngest of four. So, oh, okay. okay and, and an accident. Um, <laughs> uh, a miracle baby, as, as you put it. Uh, didn't think my mother could actually have children anymore. So, really? Yeah. So he, uh, he grew up in pre-World War II Greece. So very huh. different uh, way of life than most of my other uh, friends' parents. Wow. So, yeah, he, was, he had been a restaurateur. Uh, in the city in, in New York. And then by the time I came around, he was semi-retired and he, he was funding my other brother's uh, mechanic shop. Wait, so the restaurant? Yeah. Was it a Greek what, restaurant? No, no. He, he was adamantly all about assimilation. Huh. So it was just a continental restaurant uh, right on Wall Street. Huh. So all of the bankers and, and Wall Street guys would come to him for lunch. And yeah, he was, he was totally all in that stock market crowd. How much time did you spend in the restaurant growing up? No, by the time I was around, he had been retired. I mean, oh, the restaurant gosh, was, was gone. gone. But yeah, so you just saw like pictures of it and yeah, stuff. To, I, in fact, I only went once. Uh, it it had been pretty badly uh, tarnished around mm. September 11th, okay. or on September 11th, and then uh, years later, it reopened as an Irish pub. And after my father passed, we took my mom there where they had met. And it was beautiful. It was Very incredible cool. to see. But, yeah. So who do you inherit your personality from? Is it your mom or your dad or, or TBD? Um, honestly, I inherit my personality from 
the television shows I watched. Because <laughs> okay. uh, I was a latchkey kid, you know. Okay. And so it, that that's really where it comes from. Latchkey kid, what, your mom was working too? My mom was working. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, she worked at a uh, – she still works at the, the local college. Okay. Um, and my father was just, you know, he was so much older. He, yeah, he, yeah. We would – we didn't play soccer. We, you know, talked politics. So, wow. <laughs> so it was a totally different upbringing than the the other kids in the neighborhood, which at the time made me feel really weird. Mm-hmm. But then, in retrospect, I, I actually think it's why I I seem to do better with with an older crowd. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. where I really feel at home. So, what were the shows? Oh God, what yeah. were what were like the instrumental shows that made the, you wanna? The most instrumental show for me was definitely the Rosie O'Donnell show. I've, what the Rosie O'Donnell show? If you gave me a hundred guesses, yeah. that would not even make it. I that, would, I would not uh, even think of that. Well, she grew up around the corner from me. Okay, um, so she was this local celebrity hero, and I just, I just absolutely loved her. She was the queen of nice, right? At the time, it was just this passion for celebrity and pop culture. It's the, so the funny, super I, fan. You're, you're so right though, because I remember I had a cousin, an older cousin, who was obsessed with the Rosie O'Donnell yeah. show growing up, and I, when you look back now. On the talk shows of like the nineties, I completely I completely gloss over Rosie O'Donnell. She, and she what won it, the Emmy every year. But it was how many years was it on comparatively? Six. It was only six, it which is a, relatively short compared to Sally Jesse and oh yeah. you know Geraldo and Donahue and like she burned out. I think you know what I mean. I think it yeah. was one of those things where she couldn't. She just wanted to exit. It well, was it her was own volition. Sec- well, it was a second career, right? Yeah. She had been a comedian, a third career. It had been totally. she'd been a comedian and an actress for so long. VH1 VJ started it off. I didn't know that. Star Search. Yeah. Star she, Search as a she, comedian. Comedian contestant won, I think, the longest running streak of winning huh. was, was Rosie. She ended up on VH1, and then she ultimately did League of Her Own, right. Sleepless in Seattle, and then she did the talk show thing, which, you know, for me is coming a little full circle as a super fan because now Kelly Clarkson is about to do a talk show. Right. And so, I, 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 not that I have any part in any of this, but I just feel warm in my heart thinking about that. Tell me about the Kelly thing. Let's get into this Kelly thing. Because anybody who knows Jason Sarlanis knows. It's part of my brand. Before we get... <laughs> it's part. But, okay, is there a term for Kelly fans that I'm not aware of? I don't think so. I, I, Wait, that seems like a major flaw. Maybe in- Clarksonites? I, she's, she's known by us as Collegendary. Colleg- oh, because of the Kelly? Co- yeah. So that's, Collegendary. That's, that's, that's the hashtag? That, yeah. She's Collegendary. She's perfect. What is it about Kelly Clarkson? You know, honestly, I, well, talk about a formulative show. Yeah. American Idol to me, yeah. is the ultimate format of all time. It was just yeah. absolutely perfectly executed and kind of snuck into our hearts and minds. It was a summer replacement show. If you look back at those old first yeah. episodes, held together by glue and tape, basically. And I just felt like she broke through in such a massive way from a personality perspective, mm-hmm. uh, which makes her such a great television character. But also, I mean, that, that voice to me, oh, my God, it melts me on the inside, dude. Where like, would you rank that voice all time? I, be objective. Uh, it's, it's impossible for from, you to be objective. From a vocal quality perspective, she's up there. But I think it's the amount of heart she puts into her songs that make her number one. For does she write her songs? She does. She does. She wrote Because of You when she was 16 years old. I didn't know that. And won a freaking Grammy for it. Years later. She wrote she wrote it sixteen, yep. and then post Idol, it was on her album. Yes, it was her second single or something. Yeah, and and she had to. Fight. I mean, listen, I could do a whole Kelly Clarkson podcast. For no, her, I, I, but she she fought to get it on the album. 
Uh, her record label did not want to have it out there. Okay. It tested through the roof after they put it on the album, and so they released it as a single, and then she won a Grammy for it. Thank you for the Kelly there Clarkson you go. history. No, I asked any, for any, it, and you gave it to me. anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're in high school. Yeah. It's time to go to college. Where'd you go? I went to Boston University. So Boston University. In part to follow in the footsteps of one Miss Rosie O'Donnell. Okay. So she went to That BU. was her alma mater? Okay. Uh, you have to graduate for it to be an alma mater, uh, but she, she was kicked out of there. Um, but it, it had an amazing television program. It, it has an amazing television program. And unbeknownst to me, uh, because I had applied everywhere else as a teacher um, to go into the education departments, huh. but- I applied to BU as a, as a television and film student and I got in and it was just, it just felt right. I mean, huh. it was something that it, everywhere else I applied local, it was kind of that thing where I just had to make a decision. Am I going to really go for it or just stay on Long Island and become a teacher and, and live that suburban life? And I think subconsciously I, I applied to go to Boston and television because that's what I really wanted. And so I went and never looked back. Was applying for the teacher program at Boston not an option or for whatever reason you're like, for whatever reason, if I go to this school, it's not going to be for teaching. That, that the latter. I, That's I so just, crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, I'd always loved television. I was a nerd yeah. for television. I love watching old programs from the dawn of of television history. So I, I I love it. And so I felt like maybe there's a world where this kid from suburban New York who has no connections in the industry might be able to get in the industry. And right. apparently, you can. So that was exciting. Four years in Boston. Uh, two and a half. What? So the I. I only had a three-year program in Boston because of, you know, high school, this and that. Okay. And then, because of, like, honor roll? Yeah. You're one of those? I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd. Did you have an over 4.0? Yeah. Were you one of those kids? I'm a nerd. What did you graduate? Uh, when did I graduate? No, I'm sorry. What did you graduate with, your GPA? Uh, oh, God. It was weighted, so I think it was a 4.2. That's crazy. Yeah. So. That, that's I'm, be- I, I'm a little smart. SATs, sometimes. too? Uh, yeah, I did. Well, now it's so weird because it's a different metric I know, from like when a, we grew it, up. It's like in the 2000s yeah. now. Like uh, it's, yeah. yeah. But I, yeah, I did. I did okay. Okay. I so, did okay. So, uh, yeah, went to, to school there. And then what Boston does is they have an amazing internship program here and, well, out in Los Angeles as yeah. we're in New Orleans. And so I did the last half of my final year out there. Okay. And just never look back. And did that get you internship opportunities yes. while you're in LA? Exactly. So when I when I was out there, I interned and then ultimately PA'd on a show called Passions, a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> so soap it, opera. NBC daytime yeah. soap opera. Yeah. NBC. Yeah. I'm a passion. You, it had like a mystical element to it, didn't uh, it? Yes. So there was a little doll that came to life. Yeah. There was a witch. There was this orangutan that had a personality. It was, God, it was great. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to think that like the younger audience has no idea that soap operas were such a big deal? It it is. Almost eerie to me. It's not even part of the culture anymore. But and they're such a, a part of the fabric of Americana. It's true. Yeah. And of the history of television. It, totally. Yeah. I, I do wonder if there will be a world where a low-cost streamer could start something like that. You know? And I could, No, I could see Facebook having a daily telenovela. No question about it. You're on it every day anyway. So why wouldn't you just go on for like your next 20-minute episode, but it only drops... You know, and then it disappears. So it's like, so it's like go watch back it to, when you can. Go back to a time, yeah, back in the day where you couldn't just set the VCR to watch your shows, right? Exactly. Where you had to watch the daily shows and the ads. It is, it is, <laughs> it is. It's like you drop a twenty-minute episode, and it's only available for twenty-four hours. Yeah, and that's it. It's and brilliant. That's a, it's a brilliant idea for. That's for the someone. only way I can see it. It has to be one of those social platforms that you go on every day as a habit, anyway. And especially since they soap operas are so 
passionate for their audience that they want to talk about it. So why not in a social oh, right. media? Yeah, because yeah. you can immediately share exactly with everybody else. Look, look what we just did. I think we invented something. That took us two minutes. <laughs> See, we solved all of television. So first gig. Yeah. First paying full-time gig in Hollywood is what? In, in Hollywood, paying uh, was being paying on passions. Okay. Um, okay. And then ultimately, I ended up as Lisa Berger's assistant over at E. It was and that quick you got to E? Yeah, I got to E uh, from the set because I started interning. Right. So I was interning at E. Right. And then within about two months of interning, the opportunity to take over her desk uh, was brought to me. And I, how do you say no to that? She was incredible and a huge mentor in my career. How long had you, had you been in Passions as a PA? Uh, the same thing, two months. Two months? Two months. So, so I was a day PA. Yeah, so you had no assistant experience. No. And at this time, Lisa Berger is running development at E. Yes. That would never happen today. They would never give somebody <laughs> with two months experience and no desk experience the job working for Amy at E right now. No. That, that wouldn't happen. But you know what it was? I made myself the easiest option. And okay. I feel like in general, people don't want to work hard for the admin in their life. They just want whatever's easy. Mm. So I was there. Yeah. I was plucky. Uh, I, I was willing to do what it took, and she saw that in me, and she said, all right, use the intern. He, he's good enough. Biggest thing you learned from Lisa Berger? Uh, oh, gosh. Anything you find the, yourself utilizing in your daily— I, I mean, yeah. every single day, I think, there's something I learned from her, whether yeah. it was didactic or just through observation. I've, she's such a part of who I am. But I would say from in terms of pure lesson, yeah. remember that every time as a network executive you are giving a note, your job is to raise the rating— it's not necessarily to make a better program. Mm. It's to make a better rating. Mm. And think about that because sometimes you might give a note that will distract your producer so much because you want it to be aesthetically pleasing mm. that you're actually hurting the rating of your show. That is one of the best comments I've heard. It, it, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's very close. It echoes something that uh, Corey Henson told me a long time ago. Love where her. She was like, when I give a note, the only thing I'm thinking about is, is this going to make a difference how many people watch it? Exactly. Same thing. And that's right. You know, there's an alternate like, universe where they would have worked together and that would have been amazing. That would have been incredible. Yeah. yeah. Apparently people at Bravo, from what I've heard, have not heard this. Have not heard that <laughs> note before. Uh, I'll plead the fifth on that. That was like a real missed opportunity. I, I saw Corey Abraham and I didn't I really I as I came out of the interview, I was like, I didn't talk about I didn't talk about the, the uh, reputation that Bravo has for for the notes. They, the, but you know what? Their programming is consistent. Oh, yeah. And huge, the, huge Bravo And fan. the brand is so specific that obviously they know what they're doing. I haven't done a show for Bravo yet, so it's just something that you hear. Like, yeah. you, you compare notes with other producers. You're like, oh, how are they? How oh, are you guys they? talk behind our backs? Who knew? No. That, that doesn't happen. <laughs> that doesn't happen at conferences like this. Never. Uh, so how long does it take? How long you're on the desk until you get promoted at E? Oh, gosh. That was about... About a year, a little Only over a year. year. Yeah, so, you shot right up, man. Well, I, listen. First of all, Lisa was brilliant at team building, and so the fact that I was able to weasel my way in there, I was just very, very lucky. And I was learning from awesome, awesome executives who had all been showrunners or producers. She never hired yeah. network people. Interesting. Um, and so what I realized very quickly is the only way I could really contribute to this network was by having a show get made and no one was going to pitch her assistant. So I had to generate ideas mm. and she was some nice enough to hear me out. And she picked up two of my pilot ideas and she said, listen, as long as my coffee's warm and my phones are answered, go shadow on these pilots, learn. And so I was, I was getting a great education and ultimately another network tried to poach me to go on to uh, an executive team. 
Okay. As the most junior person possible, obviously. Um, and so I went and I told Lisa, I said, listen, you know, I have this other opportunity. And she laughed in my face and she said, you don't want to go there. That place would not be good for your career. Uh, you want to stay here. Are we but- not going to say what this place no. was? Okay. No. And she, but she goes, and there's nothing else I can offer you. You have to stay on my desk. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, but listen, if you do it, if you stick by me, I'll do right by you. Hmm. And I thought, okay, I've got Lisa in my corner. I've got Ted above her, who a BU alum and such an awesome guy who's been a champion of my career as well. And the other place was unknown to me. And so I thought, I mean, when am I going to get this access again? i got to stay here. And three months later, I went in. Three, three months later. Three months after that, I put in for my overtime. And you know as an assistant in Hollywood, like you live and die by yeah. that overtime. And it bounced back. So I go into Lisa's office and I said, Lisa – you know I never asked you for anything. I need you to fight for me here. I need overtime again. And she turns white as a ghost, and she goes, I totally forgot to tell you I promoted you. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how I became manager of development at Because you were now salaried? Yeah. That's why. Ex- so the internal system didn't recognize OT. Ex- exactly. And, and I had no idea that that had happened. <laughs> um, and so at that time, I took over The Soup, which was in starting up season two. Okay. Um, and became number two on Girls Next Door and number two on Dr. 90210. So took over those shows. And only a couple weeks weeks after that, uh, the number one on those shows left the company. And Lisa said, hey, listen, you know, I think you know what you're doing. Um, do you think you'll fuck up these shows? Yeah. And I said, no. And she said, great. You're now on the number one show on the network. I hope you don't fuck it up. And the number one show was... Girls Next Door at the time. Girls Next Door. Yeah. I want to go back one second. Yeah. You had two pilot ideas that you pitched. Yes. That they picked up the pilot. Yes. Do you remember what these ideas were? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. What are Uh, these? One was America's Hottest Hottie. (laughs) Great. I mean, it's all there in the title. (laughs) Okay. Um... This was a different time. Different this time. This was a different time, everybody. D- different time and a different brand, yeah. you know? And, and by the way, there's nothing it's wrong true. with being hot. Yeah. The, Not right? at all. I, I, I don't know what that's like, but for those people that are, good for them. Um, and another one was uh, uh, Survival of the Fittest, which took all those 90s infomercial stars oh. and pitted them against one another in kind of a, that's a, a fat camp meets uh, surreal life house. Where they were going to train people and find train the best people trainer? and live together. Okay. So I had Susan Powder and you got the uh, whole thing cast. Tybo. Oh yeah, we shot we shot a little pilot. Yeah, never went forward, but it, it was fun. Those are great assistant ideas, by the way. They, listen, it, it, it helped me out. The second one was a good assistant idea. <laughs> <laughs> the first one didn't really go anywhere. So, so when she asked you, "Are you going to yeah. fuck this up?" Yeah. Did you really know what you were doing, or were you just always so plucky, as you said, and so confident in yourself? You were thinking, "Well, look, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out very soon. Like I know I can do this." I think it's a but little did bit you, of both. Did you just really grasp it right away? Well, I, I, I again, I was training under great people, yeah, and it, I think one of the things that really, really good network executives do know when to get out of the way, mm. and I think that. That's easy to do. <laughs> it's harder to insert yourself. So I got out of the way of some of these amazing producers and let them do their job and empowered them to do it as well as they possibly could. And so, you know, the soup, for instance, you know, they used to get a lot of network notes. Yeah. And my job was to just not not get in the way of their comedy. Right. And that freedom, that show rocketed up something like 100% of the ratings, honestly. And that was, you said season two of the soup. So yeah. does that mean season two with Joel? Season two with Joel, yes. Before right. then, it was the What the Awards. So it started on our air with Joel as the What the Awards. Oh, okay. And we realized we're doing Talk Soup. Let's just change the name to The Soup. So how That's long had the, had the soup been dormant? 
Uh, Aisha Tyler had had rounded out Talk Soup about five years before. Got it. Joel came on board. I think. Yeah. Will the soup ever be back? You think? I I hope so. It's such a great format. It will, right? It, it should be. I mean, the Netflix thing. They tried to do it on Netflix. Right. And I, I, you know, I just don't think that's how you watch. That show should be a weekly appointment yeah. catch-all in, in a binge universe that didn't make sense. So, But Joel's incredible. And, and you know, that, that show, that format has proven to ho- uh, launch some really great talent. So I think they could start with an unknown again if they wanted to. I, I totally agree. Yeah. I, I think it will. Yeah. I, I want to talk about Joan Rivers for a second okay. if we can. Because I, I want to talk about Joan Rivers. Because you were on Fashion Police. Yes. I so, love Joan. So the idea of Fashion Police, was that developed? In house, yeah. So, Fashion Police have been a long stable of of E as specials. Oh, so the red carpet coverage. Yeah. Right. So it was always a special. Um, and Joan had been, you know, the grand dame of the red carpet on E for a very long time, and had kind of gone away. She had gone to TV Guide Network for some time. They that's poached right. her. It was a big, big poach. At the her time. and Melissa would do yes, red carpet coverage together. Yeah, that's right. Um, so at the time, E had Seacrest doing red carpet, and it had. Ch- morphed completely from the comedy show that was Joan to mm. something much more prestigious in, in, in its take. So uh, th- that Joan documentary had come out that year. And so Joan all of a sudden went from being somebody who was on Apprentice to this hot, amazing comic mm. again. And it Really? It was the documentary that did that? Not the, the, not the Apprentice, you think? I, I think for, for us, that documentary was where we go, oh, she's, she's going to be amazing again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we thought, okay, if we could get Joan back, is there a way that this could be a weekly series? Is there enough content there? And it wasn't until Blythe, uh, now Asher, and myself had sat down with Kelly Osborne for a talent general. Because we knew we had Joan, but we couldn't understand, like, the bigger picture. And we were just talking to Kelly about what she loves and what she doesn't love. And somehow she talked to us about her grandma, Joan. And we said, what do you mean? She said, oh, Joan's like a grandmother to me. She, she you know. I never mom, knew that. I never knew they had a preexisting neither, relationship. Neither did we. But I mean, even to this day. Yeah. I did not know that. And, and, but I think a lot of people in Joan's life felt like she was their grandmother, yeah. too, you know? So I don't even know how deep that really was. But it just clicked. The thought of this, like, punky, cool, irreverent Kelly next to Joan who can, I mean. There's an icon. Icon. Absolute icon. But but what I love about Joan is no matter how iconic she got, she still felt fresher than, than the 22-year-olds doing it, you know, mm-hmm. um, that we saw. We just knew that the two of them together would be a great pairing. And then you rounded out the cast of four with Juliana. Juliana, because we knew – we didn't want Joan to have to do the work of traffic copying. Yeah. We needed someone in there that could just make it seamless. And, and G, she's just – she is effortless at hosting. She's so incredible. And not until I worked with her did I really understand that. And then we knew she, uh, Joan needed an Ed McMahon. She mm-hmm. needed that, that person who was just going to laugh at all her jokes, <laughs> no matter what. Um, and, and I don't think Joan would have ever done a panel without a gay man by her side. Mm-hmm. So she, she said, go get me a good gay. And we found George. <laughs> and George was that. I mean, George was an expert in his own right. Absolutely. Right? A real red carpet stylist. But, huge clients. But was a great audience for Joan. Great. And never done TV before, too. Right. So uh, she he, felt ownership of him. And he was never going to fight Joan for jokes. No one is going to fight. Uh, right. You'd be a fool to try and fight Joan for jokes. How did it work with her writers? Like, so, how were her writers inserted into the, the machine of the production staff? Well, you know what? It was one of those weird things where her writers really wrote for her and her voice. Mm. And so they never did it in the office. Everything was done at her house with huh. her and Melissa. And people would pitch her out jokes. And, and Joan was 100% involved in everything she said. So yeah. in a weird way, we never really interacted with the writers because they were her writers, not so, ours. So she would have the rundown. 
for what the show was going to be, and her and the writers would go through what the topics and who are the celebrities that were going to be featured that night. Basically, what they would do is they would get all the looks from the week, okay. and we would over do it right you'd have yeah. triple the amount of looks that could ever be in the show right and she would just have her writers pitch out jokes she, right. it was like a writer's room so just, she came armed with all the jokes from having had that working session at her house or whatever uh, the working session is how she just piled up all these amazing jokes and then based on that we'd say okay you know if it bleeds it leads just get us the funniest stuff at the top of the show mm-hmm. and we just jam pack that show with as many jokes as possible and, and and also i mean joan went off the cuff all the time right so you never know what way Joan was going to take it. And she, she's a brilliant reader of the room. Yeah. She knows when a joke is going to land. She, we never, she always knew the line and how to go right up to it, dance on it, but never cross it. Mm. And I just, uh, she's, she's phenomenal. And you had a small audience there, right? Yeah, about 20, 20 people in the room. Would she interact with them? Oh my, oh, dude. So, so Joan cared about her fans more than, more than she cared about her own daughter, you know. Um, so one time, this this story about Joan is why I love her. So she was shooting the Joan and Melissa show for We while simultaneously doing Fashion Police. And she lived in New York. So she would fly out in the morning before a taping. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes. So she's doing the five-hour flight. She's doing the three hours of hair and makeup because no one ever saw Joan without perfect hair and makeup. Uh-huh. And so then she shot a 12-hour day with Joan and Melissa. And Melissa and she were at each other's throats because it was a, a tense day. And then Melissa's an EP on her show. Right. So Melissa's giving her notes, and they're getting pissy at Which one Which doesn't another. put anybody in an awkward position oh, around that set. Yeah, yeah. With you, a mother-daughter. You want to be the network executive between the two of those yeah, guys. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so our taping went for three hours that night. So we're at midnight at this point. And what we used to do is any joke that didn't make the show, we collect them at the end of the day and Joan would tape them for, for the web. She would do internet jokes. And so the producer turns to me and goes, listen, we're already at midnight. Can we just scrap the internet jokes? And I said, of course, like we don't have to do that this week. And so it comes time for the internet jokes and Joan says, where, where are my jokes? And so I go over, you know, the PA, and I said, don't worry about it, Joan. Tonight, let, let's just call it, a, call it a night. And she goes, you don't tell me not to give my fans what they have come to expect from me. This is for my fans. This isn't for you. I'm going to do these jokes. And so she does it. And then afterwards, as she did every night, she took all the flowers from the set and went to each person in the audience, gave them a flower, a picture, and, and spoke to them. Joan cared more about her audience than any network executive ever could. So let's talk about the other big face of E at the time, Seacrest. Yes. You maneuver over to the producing side. To go work for him, yeah. For the first time in your career at that point. Correct, yeah. To Seacrest Productions. Absolutely. What was the gig? How did you get drawn over there? Was it an awkward transition? Because obviously you were a prized executive at E at the time. Listen, E was going through a huge growing growing pain era right so ted had left mm-hmm. suzanne Cole had just come and become the president of the network so lisa was no longer there lisa had had left about nine months prior so i was at the yeah. end of my my contract and they had come to me and said you know we'd like you to stay and i said i, I don't know if this is the right time for me to stay but I'll, I'll go at will and i'm at will and i'm in london uh just for for fun okay and of course i had a show shooting with seacrest in london and so i'm gonna go to set on my vacation and i'm there. You're the only guy I know that goes to freaking set. It was a fun on set. vacation. It was, it was a concert. What so, was, it was a concert. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so how am it. I not going to go to? Got that? it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, and uh, you know we're talking about life as you do with producers and and Heather Schuster who was at Seacrest at the time yep. uh, said, listen, you know I think we're going to bring in an SVP of development. Would that be interesting to you? And I said. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of was like a duh idea because every show that Seacrest had done at E was one of my shows. Right. So I was the point guy on Seacrest anyway. And I thought, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to go to the selling side, 
yet I still get to be part of the Kardashians because right. that's a, a Seacrest show and that would have been my baby at E. Would so, you still be staying on those as like the current executive? Exactly. As well? So I okay. did stay with the Kardashians through that final season that I was at Seacrest. And so I, it just felt comfortable in, mm. in an odd way. So I went and met with Adam Scher the week after. And Adam at the time was the president of Seacrest. Right. And he said, dude, I've been trying to work with you for, for years. If you're willing to make this happen, let's just let's do it. And I love Adam. Adam's the kind of guy that I would follow anywhere. Great so uh, so I went over there. And unbeknownst to me, there were moving tectonic plates happening uh, behind the scenes at Seacrest. And Adam was out three months later. Ah. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, so I the, forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, so what I signed up for was By the way, coming full circle, we were all on the same flight coming here. Yes. So Adam Scher was on that flight. Absolutely. Me and you it, about 20 other executives. It but, was a good yeah, flight. It yeah. was a good flight. Bumpy landing, though. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I love Adam. And so when he was no longer a part of Seacrest, I didn't really want to be mm. a part of Seacrest. Uh, and so ultimately what happened, another full circle, Lisa got the job at ABC and broadcast came a knocking and she knocked on Ryan's door and said, you got my guy. I want him over here. And Ryan was awesome about it. And mm. so I went over, did the broadcast thing for a little bit. All right, so give me the, and I want to hear about this because you had spent so long at E. Now you move over to the broadcast space, and only few executives kind of make that transition from cable to network. And there's, you know, I mean, there's, there's such a, a stigma. There is a wall. There's yeah. a wall, and there's such a stigma that people have about, oh, you've done cable. Producers too. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, what were the biggest differences or surprises you found when you got to broadcast network, never having known how many projects they have in development at one time, how many things do they actually pilot at a network? Like, what were the biggest surprises for you now being in the chair? I think the single biggest surprise for me was how the alternative department was really looked at as an alternative. Mm. And it wasn't a part of the piloting process. Uh, And it wasn't a part of the big picture planning. And it was very reactionary to, oh, that show is no longer working, so we're going to pull this scripted show. Do you have something a lot cheaper that could slam into production in six weeks? Right, because when you're at E, that... It's, it's, a ne- it's a network that didn't have scripted at the time. Exactly. So it's everything. Right? And, and, and even over here, when it does get scripted, it is the behemoth. It right. is the gold child. Right. But when you go to the big broadcast, broadcast network, you have late night, daytime, uh, news organizations. Comedy and drama. I mean, comedy, it's all about comedy com- and drama. Comedy and drama. And, exactly. hey, alternative, what do, what do you got? E- exactly. And also, at, at ABC, at the time at least, I can't speak to what it's like now, the Disney Corporation was about these big brands and these scripted, amazing storytelling they didn't really invest in reality. When you look mm. at their slate, they don't own their own shows. Mm. You know, Bachelors, Warners, Dancing's BBC. Right. Not the way Telegdi really, really invests in reality at yeah. NBC. And so you re- it, you felt like an afterthought. And I didn't love that. Mm. I'll be honest. Um, I, I wish I, I wish I was more uh, nimble than that, but I wasn't. Did you notice a difference in just the pitching styles and the level of meetings that came in? Yeah, I mean, things were definitely packaged better for broadcast. They must. Be. It, it really felt like some like everybody was rolling up their sleeves and getting the right package together. So it it felt much more like a buying gig traditionally than a development gig. Yeah, you weren't developing things. Right. You, you something would come to you fully baked, and do you want to do this show or not? Mm. Um. And and ultimately, so less creatively hands on for you, it felt very much so. And for the most part, you know, there were just a, a, a club of a few people that were really getting the shows set up. Right. And so, you know, you didn't get the diversity of, of voices that I that I really love in cable. You on the plus side, though, 
you're like a huge Disney nerd, right? Huge Disney nerd. So that was <laughs> no, that must have been a big value. Oh, add. it was incredible. And also, like, listen, did you I, abuse all the all the packages uh, you get uh, as an employee? Abuse is a, a weird term. Take you, full advantage. Utilize. Of, yeah. Oh my God, that silver pass. I mean, you had the silver pass through Missy. You know. we never used it. That's a sin. We never. I know we never used it. And now well, the that we have kids, we didn't have any kids. Oh right! Oh no, kids. you did. Oh you, wait, wait, sorry. Yeah, Everett was born. I mean, when we when she first started. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. then Everett was born, and then yes, she left right around when we had the second. Yeah. But like, we didn't realize how amazing that was until we had the kids. Oh god. Yeah. I mean, Disney is beautiful with or without. Children. Did you have like crazy like things in your office? Like, didn't you have it all decked out? I with still her? do. You still yeah. do. I, I, I you have I, Disney stuff in your office. I now. have Disney stuff in my. I, I, Disney is just. I, I, I'm counting the minutes until Disney Plus launches. Like I cannot wait. Bro, I'm already counting the days down until Frozen Two comes out. I'm worried about Frozen Two. How, why? Because historically, musicals don't make for good sequels. Mm. I can't. Re- I mean, Grease Two's fun, but it's no Grease. You no. know, and I can't really think of many. What did you think of the second Mamma Mia? You know, listen. <laughs> it, it it's enjoyable to watch. You're missing you're missing Meryl. You know? I was missing Meryl. All right, so spoiler alert. All right, so what is, what what is in the office at TLC? What are the Disney knickknacks that we have on display? So I have this lamp, uh, a very big glass vase filled with about one hundred little vinyl Mickeys oh. of all different shapes and, and colors. And so that is my ode to, to Disney in the office. That's that's all I have in, in the TLC. Favorite office. princess. Ooh, Ariel. I love Ariel. Ariel, really? Yes. Oh, God. The- I got to tell you, those old princesses, n- not the best role models for my girls. Uh, uh, Missy and I have discussed this at length. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. but like Anna, Moana, yes. Rapunzel. Yes. Those are my three. Because, They're Because they don't need a man they don't need to man. save them. You they know don't what need I mean? man. Yeah. But you know what? I think there is something. The worst is Belle. Belle is the worst. Really? She, Belle she, is by far the she worst. she liked reading. I guess that was a that is, deal. See, that's how they actually tried to <laughs> redeem her. Like, oh, but she reads. Like, a, a, a man, a yes. big scary monster, not yes. even a man, a big scary monster kidnaps her dad, puts him in lockup in his house. She has to go seek him out. And the guy says, hey, I'll let you go, but you're staying with me. She is held captive no, by the Stockholm monster. Syndrome thing. I know, right? I know. And but then, it's a fairy tale. And then, yeah, and then because he gives her some books. And like, oh, look at this library, <laughs> Belle. It's like, oh, all is forgiven. And now I'm going to fall in love with the guy. Listen, the shack she grew up in, that mansion was an upgrade. I like that castle. Belle is no role model. Uh, you get a small glimpse of what it's like in the Fox house when we yeah. actually discuss these things. Put that Belle toy away. Um, all right, so TLC. Yeah. You're now SVP of development. Correct. And you are overseeing the development across both East Coast and West Coast. Yes. It's a big effing job, Jason. It, 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 listen, it's a, it's a great job, and I'm, I'm really lucky to have landed. But do you ever wake up some mornings and you're just like, how did I get here? How did the kid from mm-hmm. Long Island, right? Who, Sometimes. Who watched a lot of Star Search and Rosie O'Donnell. Yes. How did I end up overseeing the development for a major, major cable network? And that's a big gig. Well, I think, honestly, in part, I've just been doing an impression of, <laughs> of the people that I watched as a young executive. Yeah. And I hope I just don't get caught on it. And yeah. you just do it until one day you're like, oh, what? I'm, I'm actually doing it now. Uh, so I, you, we had lunch, like, I don't know, several months ago. Yeah. And over lunch... You gave me this like breakdown, you know, and I think it's the breakdown you'd probably give everybody about the spiel, what TLC is and what makes a TLC show and yeah. t- how to differentiate it from stuff in the marketplace. I have to tell you, I have heard like the network mandate spiel. Yes. Countless times. I imagine. Sometimes it's printed out for you by an agency. Not 
that's actually very helpful when they do yeah. that. Uh, uh, I don't want to overhype it, but I'm going to ask you to do it. Oh. Because your spiel is the single best spiel I have heard because you are so concise and clear. Wow. And you actually back it up with like what the network has learned over time works and doesn't work. And I always say that like TLC and ID feel like two of the top cable networks in our business that actually know what their audience is Well, consistently. We love our audience. I, and I think that's the important thing. And so we're always putting that viewer at the forefront of what we're, what decisions we're trying to make. Right. And yeah, TLC for me, um, and there's different iterations on this, but for me, it's about that middle American, middle-class mentality at the intersection with something jaw-droppingly extraordinary. Mm. So, you know, and that uh, that's taken many different forms. And where we tend to do it best is doing it in docu-soap. Right. And so you're seeing these families that might not exactly look like you and I, but the relationships amongst them are incredibly, incredibly relatable. So you know what it's like to go home to your wife. But you don't know exactly what it's like to go home to your three wives. Right. And that's what makes it extraordinary. That's what makes it fascinating. But the lifestyles are leading are incredibly middle American. So uber relatable. Um, similarly, you know, you everybody knows what it's like to feel a little chubby now and then. But to be bedbound and obese and on death's door, that's the extreme. Mm. And seeing that journey and that transformation is both inspiring, but also very, very enjoyable to watch so we're always looking for that intersection i think that's tlc in a nutshell please describe for me the magic that is dr pimple popper oh dude so i i I wish i could say i came in and it was my baby this is howard lee's baby sure full on and and what i love about working at tlc is every single day i'm getting to learn from somebody great Mm. and howard lee is a genius he's a mad genius Mm. and so he saw the um, uh, initial pimple popper videos that dr lee was doing online and similarly everyone can relate to popping a zit but when that zit is three pounds on your neck that's the extreme and there's something oddly just enjoyable about the pus oozing and just watching it kind of squirt out so we loved that. But we it's highly that. polarizing. Highly polar, But great television should be. Yeah. Right? Right. So Because those that are going to love it are really going to love it. Really going to love it. And there are going to pe- be people who hate watch it and people who watch it with a hand over their eyes, you right. know? Um, but the, the beauty of Pimple Popper is Dr. Lee is this calming, perfect voice at the center of this madness. Right. And, and these people, you know, who are really dealing with extreme extreme what look like deformities to you and i come out looking beautiful and perfect at the end and i think that that is just that's it's a makeover show (laughs) i have not watched an episode oh you're missing out so describe for me what what work is done post pop post pop just healing it's just healing just healing so do you really need a doctor to pop a pimple that's the question i guess i have like if you have a three if you have a three pound or whatever a golf ball on the side of your neck can't you just kind of do that in the privacy of your own home? No, cause, uh, we use the term pimple loosely. Okay. So a lot of these are lipomas. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Lee is a dermatologist, so she can do all of these skin issues. And Got so, it. yeah, no, I mean, she, you should not be doing the things she does at home. Trust me. Okay. In fact, some of the people end up in the show because they did. Because they did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, trading Spaces. Yeah. The it's reboot. Back. Yeah. Reboot, what was, that, what was that, like April of this year, something like it, that? It came March? back last April, yes. And then we have another one coming up, uh, season 
ele- 10 is is premiering in March. Didn't it like set records? Yeah, it did really well. It was our highest Saturday in something like 10 years. Um, How did this come back in? So you Was know, it you guys making a call? Yes, or was it was it the us right- making a call. It was. So yeah, it wasn't so, the rights holder shopping. No, it. not at all. So, um, so Trading Spaces has been a huge hit. You know, for TLC in the past, and it was the cover of Time Magazine and all that great stuff. And when when I first came to the network, uh, David Zaslov really wanted us to explore getting back into the home space. This is before our merger with HGTV and all of that. Mm. And so, you know, Howard and I were sitting around. I said, "Listen, if if there's one way to get back in the home space that we know feels TLC, it's trading spaces." And and he gleefully said, "Let's go explore that." Wow. Um, and and Nancy, who was our president at the time, was super into it as well. And we called up Eden Gaha because he was over there and he had the rights. And over where uh, he was at? Oh God, Shine Animal at the time. Okay. And so Shine Animal had the rights, uh, TLC on the title. And so we called over to those guys and we said, hey, you know, we want to explore rebooting this. And he said, great. You know, we have all these shops. Who do you want to do it with? And we have such a relationship with Authentic because they did Toddlers. And and at the time, Lauren Lexton was over there. Mm. And so we called up and we said, hey, we want to do this. And Lauren, I literally like did cartwheels. It's (laughs) it's such a fun show to work on. And so we worked on closing the deal. The deal closed the day of our upfronts. And so we announced it that day and we had no plan. No plan. No, no didn't talent. Ne- didn't no, necessarily know who you were going to cast. Not at all. That was part of the plan. Right. We really wanted to see what the reception to the announcement would be like, mm. and it really helped inform. And so I met with every single former talent face-to-face and got a sense of, do we feel like that person really wants to be back? Mm-hmm. Do they care about it? Um, are they going to be good TV still? And thankfully, they were in spades. Any chance that does move over to HGTV now post-merger? No. So HGTV is a gold standard for home renovation and they do what they do so well trading spaces is is just about the fun it's about the fun and the emotion that's not them Mm. and so uh thankfully we did have a merger because i'm sure kathleen and hg would have tried to cream us (laughs) for for launching trading spaces um and instead they they supported us so it's it's been all good but no no plans for that to move okay last last show specific yeah four weddings yes how many seasons now for four weddings? Oh gosh, I, you know we, this is like a show that we don't talk about enough because this has been going and going. I'm I'm surprised that this is like a deep cut. And it doesn't get a lot of uh, a right? lot of love out there. I honestly I I don't know how many seasons that show is. But like an S load, right? Yeah, no, no, it, it, it's a lot of episodes. Like I want, I feel like it's been around like. As long as we've been doing this. Well, we rebooted that. So oh, it, it was a reboot. So it had taken uh, like a two-year hiatus. So not a, not a big reboot. Okay. Um, but we brought it back as two-hour episodes this year. Okay. And so it's, it's back. All right. Let me put you on the hot seat. Sure. Personal pitch meeting pet peeve as a buyer that you see from those that come in. I don't like when people pitch us shows that are already on our air. And that tends to How do those, okay, this, okay. How do those meetings even get set in the first place? honestly yeah how does that even happen a lot of times log lines are misleading oh interesting and also i i don't like to close the door to meetings i like the door mm. to be open because you never know where that next great idea is going to come from i would be so bad at that man well i, I, I don't want to censor you're, that you're a better person than i am because i have trouble sitting through pictures and i don't even get them 100 well, times a day like i you wish do. it was because uh, i'm a good person it's because of <laughs> fear Right, you don't want to be the dude ah. that said no to the meeting that could change the course of a network. Okay, you know, so okay. you got to hear it. Um, and so I, I, I just, uh, you know, if something was on air two years ago, now granted, we do six hundred something hours of originals a year. We yeah. put on a lot of stuff, yeah. so it's hard.
hard to do the research. But before it comes in the door, like you can't, it's not that you expect every producer to have watched every TLC show, job no. in history, but before you come in the do- door, at least someone involved, the agent, somebody should know that it's similar yes. or exactly the same as something you got. I, I would appreciate if, if more times that happened. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the proper amount of follow-up after what a pitch mean? meeting? Well, after a pitch meeting, yes. right? When should the agent be calling you? And if they don't get an email or a callback, should they never call back or email you again? Or no. should they wait like another three days? Is it like a post-date thing where you're supposed to wait three days until you call the person? I don't think it's a post-date. Uh, uh, my, my personal opinion on it is I'm slightly disorganized. So if somebody – if I can outsource my organization to an agent, by all means. So okay. follow up with me. Bug me. Okay. Be like, Jason, I, I didn't hear back. I'm like, oh, so sorry. I, th- I thought I passed in the room. You know. So I, I'd much rather – them chase me than me have to try and chase them it's hard out there for the agents because yeah all these executives, different all the executives are different and exactly. some people get a call like you know two weeks after a pitch and they're like God, these people are all over me yes you know like, <laughs> you, you like hear through the grapevine like oh yeah the exec was like you know leave me alone like we're, we're gonna talk about it in the meeting like geez yeah and then you're like no no please keep calling me like oh yeah I, by all means bug me it, it makes my life a lot easier you're a good one jason sarlon i wish uh your technique for passing on a project? Uh, honesty. Yeah. Honesty and information. Because I feel like when I pass, I'm hopefully helping that person get closer to the bullseye for the next time. Mm. So I, I want to give them – I put way too much information on the table because I think by being educated, it makes people better at coming up with a creative that might actually land for us. Yeah. And I, I'm all about – we need the hits. So if I can arm you with the ammunition to make a hit, I want to do that. Do you do the thing where you call and get on the phone and kind of try to do the small talk? Before or, a pass? Or do you get right to it? I usually do the phone call where like, okay, so I have bad news. Right. And it said we're not doing your show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I just get right to the point. It's so bad when, when people – because I, I can yeah. hear it the second they get on the phone. Yeah. Like you can hear in the tone of their voice. So yes. it's like just get to it. Like, don't, like well, hey, also, did you watch the Oscars last night? It's like I yes. know where this is going. Like let's just get to it. Well, and I don't really do much of the passing on the pitch. Okay. At this point, because or on a pilot getting yeah, passed that, on. That's right. where I, I do those phone calls, yeah. and and you know this person's been in the trenches. They're putting their heart and soul into it, and they deserve a quick answer, and they deserve an honest answer. So right. I don't want to you know beat around the bush. Dream project that's not right for TLC, but dream project that you would love to do if uh, you could, if you could just program your own Jason Sarlonis yes. network, other than the Jason and Kelly variety. Uh, you got me. You that would have been my guess. That would have been my thing. You can't include Kelly Clarkson uh, oh, in this. Oh, Kelly Clarkson's not in it. Oh, my dream show. Jeez. It could be a reboot. I know. It I know. could be a piece of talent that should have a show that you know would never do TV. Yeah. Complete fantasy world. Complete fantasy world? Like, I would love an Obama talk show. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, I would just love an Obama sit-down David Letterman-style Netflix show. See, I don't want that. Because I want the Michelle Obama talk show. Okay, see. I, and I, I've talked to a lot of producers about, like, go get Michelle Obama. No, mm. Obviously not for TLC. But I think she would have such an impact on the culture in a way that politics can't. Mm. And so, and I don't know if you've read her book. I mean, I that woman, she just connects in a way that I haven't seen since an Oprah, you know? Yeah. And so I think I, I want that show. Okay, well, you stole that from me. So what's yours? No, that's Michelle Obama. No, no, no. no. I, I, I planted that seed. No, you didn't. What do you mean? I've talked You're, to wait, your mind was literally going exactly yes. where I went. Yes. No, I've literally That's talked to crazy. producers about like, can we go try and get Michelle Obama to do a talk show? I talked to Corey Nelson about it. For you guys? No. 
Oh, okay. Well, this is before I worked at Teal's. Okay, that's what I was yeah. going to say. I was yeah. like, that would surprise me if no, you no, make I, it. No, I, no, I, I think the not just because I want it as a viewer. Like, I kind of think the the world needs it. What are you watching right now that you're enjoying? That I'm enjoying. I'm loving The Masked Singer. I absolutely love it. It's so anarchic and crazy. I have notes. Don't get me wrong. I have some notes. But I, I just absolutely love it. Dude, thanks for doing this. Oh, this is really fun. You're the man. Appreciate uh, you're, it. You're the man. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. <laughs>